Welcome everyone to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, episode 138, and today you'll be hearing my conversation with legendary cartoonist Mr. Guy Gilchrist, who is drawn for the Muppets, Muppet Babies, Ninja Turtles, and so much more. If you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you definitely saw his artwork. But before we get into that, let me tell you about our proud sponsor, Audible. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Mr. Guy Gilchrist. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Hey, this is Guy Gilchrist. Uh, I'm the cartoonist of uh, the Muppets and the Turtles, and uh, I have one question for you. Are you experienced? Uh, you are listening to the Derek Diamond Experience. Sitting here with my very special guest this week, legendary cartoonist, Mr. Guy Gilchrist. How are you tonight, sir? I am doing very well, Derek. You know, when you say legendary, you know, basically that's code for, can you believe he's still alive? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no, it's it's all good. It's all good. Um, We were talking um, before we actually started recording. Uh, We met a few weeks ago uh, back at Pensacon. That was a blast, by the way. Oh man, that was that was awesome. Uh, did you enjoy the con? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I've enjoyed Pensacon. Um, I've been all four years that it's been around, and every year is just kind of a a better experience each and every year. Uh, did you enjoy the con? Yeah, you know when I got there, uh, I mean I'm used to you know a lot of different kinds of setups, but that you know having the three tiers like it does, and having Artist Alley being you know, upstairs, basically in the nosebleeds of an arena, you're kind of going, man, I don't know if this is going to work, you know, because the vendors are on the floor and then they have the, the, the celebrities on the second floor. But I thought that they did a fantastic job. I know I was incredibly busy, you know, all weekend, all three days. And um, uh, I, I think a lot has to do with the fact that, you know, it's certainly supported uh, by, uh, you know, by uh, the, the area and uh, the folks in the area, and that it is a seasoned con, right? It's been around for a few years? Yes, this was its fourth year. Okay. And and one of the main things is they have really good signage, and they also have really a, a ton of wonderful volunteers. Uh, I was really impressed with, uh, with, you know, with the volunteers. I do cons everywhere. And, you know, of course, the volunteers work so, so hard at, at all of them. But, you know, some cons are organized and some aren't. And, uh, uh, but the signage and, uh, you know, and, and making sure that people knew where to find everything, uh, I think they did a really good job. I think so, too. And I'll definitely pass along the message uh, that, you, that you enjoyed it. But um, I wanted to really start off by asking you a little bit uh, about yourself personally. Um, where are you from originally? Uh, I was born in Connecticut, and uh, in the hillbilly side of Connecticut, you know, the poor side of town. And, uh, you know, people think of you know Connecticut, and they think of you know, uh, you know the the you know the, the, the yachts and 
you know, and Muffy and Biff and, you know, uh, and all that kind of, uh, you know, uh, preppy, you know, waspy stuff. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's sort of the shadow of New York City part of Connecticut. I'm from the other side of Connecticut, closer to Boston. And, um, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was born in a town called Winstead, uh, which uh, it, it was, it's such a small town that two years before I was born, this is how important Winstead was. Uh, about two years before I was born, there was a huge flood and massive amounts of water and mud came down through the Berkshires uh, in 1955, and they basically washed Winstead away. Wow. I was born I was born two years later. They hadn't moved any of the cars or anything. <laughs> they hadn't even done anything yet. You know, it was like, and they still have it. I mean, it, it, it's kind of a, you know, an old sort of a wreck of a town. But anyway, um, uh, I loved Connecticut. I'm, uh, you know, born and bred Red Sox fan. Uh, very happy about the Pats winning again, and uh, you know I'll always be always be a Connecticut guy, always be a New Englander. Uh, but for the last oh twelve, thirteen, fourteen years, some somewhere around there, I've been living in Nashville, Tennessee, and I call it home. Uh, it is home. My I met the most beautiful girl in the world here. Uh, she's my fiance. Uh, I love it here. Um, you know, you probably know I you've had a career also in music. And so, you know, living here in Music City is wonderful. And it's also really great because you're actually really in the geographic center of the country. And so, you know, touring as I do, when I'm not working on the Nancy Strip and traveling to all the conventions and doing the speeches and all of the different things that I do, uh, you know, living in the center of the, the country also really works out really well, you know, for, for touring. No, absolutely. Nashville is is a beautiful place. Um, I haven't been personally since um, since I was younger, but I do hope to make it out there again uh, sometime soon. Yeah, well, you, hey, we're here. Show up. The lights are on. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I started traveling down here. I I actually I uh, I came down a really long time ago uh, in 1980 because uh, I had written a song that had just barely made the billboard charts and I came down as songwriter originally and that was even before I started working for the Muppets and stuff and I and I really loved Nashville and uh loved the atmosphere, you know, the songwriting atmosphere, the creative atmosphere. It's like a like an electric ocean down here. And then in the in the late nineties, uh when I started, uh, you know, I was a few years into working on the Nancy comic, and one of the things I would always do in the Nancy comic would be I'd mention songwriters and old rockabilly acts and country acts and people that did a lot of really nice things for, for children's charities and things like that. I would just mention them, you know, hide them somewhere in the background, mentions of them. And that wound up getting me on the old uh, uh, Nashville network, TNN. And so I would travel down to Nashville about once a month uh, to be on the old TNN network and uh, really just fell in love all over again with Nashville. So when I had an opportunity to, uh, I eventually moved down here. And I love it. And, of course, you know, these days, being a syndicated cartoonist, you know, it, it, 
in the old days, it was great to live near New York because that's where all the action was in publishing and in syndication and stuff. But of course, now with the internet, you, you can live anywhere. And so I do. Absolutely. Now, did you want to get into um, into art and drawing cartoons? Was that something that you were into as a kid, or was it something that you know came along later? Well, uh, from a really early age, um, we were very poor, and uh, and my mom was basically a single mom. Uh, my father wasn't around, and she worked uh, at a diner. And uh, she also worked at a hotel at the front desk. And where she worked, the newspaper would be delivered every day, you know, for free to the establishment. And she would take paper and pencils, and she was a pretty good artist, and she could copy, you know, Disney characters and that sort of stuff. And and so she would show me a little bit of how to draw some Disney characters or something like that. And then she would put paper and pencils in front of me and open up the newspaper to the funnies and say, here, draw that. And she wouldn't point to one comic. She'd point to the whole page, draw that. And it was basically my babysitter. You know, I would sit there and draw. And being poor, we didn't have money for movies. And so if a new Disney movie came out, Pinocchio or Peter Pan or whatever it was, it was in the theater, Sleeping Beauty, instead of us, you know, she didn't have a dollar for, you know, for us to go to the movies each uh, and get popcorn and stuff. But she did have 19 cents, and they had little golden books. And she would go buy the little golden book of the movie, and she would tell me this was so much better because we could read the movie over and over and over again. Plus, we could copy all of the pictures. The man that did those. Disney adaptations in the Golden Books. His name was Gustav Tengren, and he was an incredible artist. The other thing was, we didn't have TV when I was really young, uh, but my grandmother did, and there were also televisions in the appliance store window on Main Street in Winstead, and I would watch Woody Woodpecker, the Woody Woodpecker show, and on TV, and Walter Lance, the creator of Woody Woodpecker and Chili Willie and Space Bouncer. Um, before he would show the cartoons, he would show you how to draw, or he would take you into the animation studio and show you that there were hundreds of people that drew just like him, you know, that he had taught how to draw to do these cartoons. And that was it. I mean, I wanted so bad to go to work for Walter Lance and be one of his guys. You know, it all kind of came together, you know, in my brain. And um, that was really what what did it. And um, so from a very early age, uh, I would draw pictures for people. And uh, it was what I loved doing the most, uh, that and playing the guitar. And uh, But before I had a guitar, I had paper and pencils. And so I would draw. And, uh, you know, and, and I, did, I did it so much, I got good at it. And... Um, uh, as I got older, I realized uh, by the time I was like 10, 11, 12 years old, that you had to do something for a living. And my stepfather was an upholsterer, and I knew I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I did see that he, with his hands, you know, he would you know make a chair or a sofa or something like that with his hands, and he'd go get paid for it. So... 
I decided that, well, you know, if Walter Lance could get paid for it, maybe I could get paid for it. And so I started, you know, selling the cartoon and just kind of went from there. Yeah, I think it's cool that, you know, you had that realization of almost like kind of finding something that you love doing and making that what you do for a living. Because some of the best advice that I ever got whenever I was younger, before I wanted to, you know, get into film was someone said, find what you love to do and find a way to get paid for it. And it's, it looks like that's what you did as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I and I will tell everybody, you know, you, there's no excuse. You always, you know, there's an old saying about, you know, start right now with what you have right now, right where you are and go. And, uh, you know, I, I remember when I was like 12 years old, I was working at the drugstore. And there was a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And I wanted to be rich. And the book was a book. And anyway, I uh, got the book and read it and started doing what it said. And, uh, you know, and it told you it told you exactly what to do to do what you love, to make a plan, you know, to have a strategy. And it became a thing with me. Uh, you know, by the time I was, you know, 12, 13 years old, uh, you know, I was selling artwork here and there. I was, you know, doing uh, doing drawings for local businesses and, and printers and this and that. I was getting my stuff printed in the local paper, in the school paper, in the yearbook, in the literary art magazine, you know, in high school. And it just kind of kept going. You know, if you, if you decide you're going to do it, and you don't quit, you've got a pretty good shot. Yeah. A lot of people say, you know, I mean, so many people come up to me now at the conventions, and it's kind of sad in a way because they'll say, oh, man, I've been at this so hard, and I've been sending stuff out, and I keep getting rejected. How come you got to be successful? You know, it must be so easy for you, and... I go, well, well, like, you know, they, they want to get, they want to get syndicated on go comics. Right. You know, like Nancy is, um, well, you know, I've, I've done like, well, how many comics have you done? Well, I sent out like three times and I can't get a catch a break. I'm like three times. You got rejected three times and you're quitting. And I got rejected three times last week, you know, um, you know, you just got to keep getting up to bat and don't quit. The other thing that the other thing that's that's the other thing that folks don't know when they're starting out is they is that if somebody tells them they stink, um, well, I'll tell you right now, if somebody tells you you stink, you probably do. <laughs> <laughs> when you start now, you know, you know, you're not very good. And, you know, so, and, and I love, you know, my style. Oh, you know, I'm working on my style. Your style is based on how much you know. Uh, the more you learn, the better you get, the more you draw, the better you get. Your style evolves, evolves, evolves. You know, my style once upon a time meant that I hid the hands behind the guy because I didn't know how to draw hands. 
and I drew everybody looking straight out at me, and if one leg was shorter than the other leg, then I put a rock under the leg that was shorter. That was my style, because I didn't know how to draw, <laughs> you know? Um, but if somebody tells you that, you know, if, if you're having problems selling your material and an editor gives you some advice, take the advice. The editor is not your enemy. The editor wants you to be successful because if you're successful, they're successful. And so, you know, you take what people say. I mean, I'm not talking about people that don't know anything, you know. I mean, because you know what? Your friends and stuff will always tell you you're great even if you're not. Um, but if a pro, if a pro like me looks at your stuff and I look at a ton of stuff, or you are fortunate enough to get into a newspaper or get on a website and there's an art director there and they're nice enough to start helping you, you know, don't get upset when they tell you to fix things or how to fix things or what you need to learn. Listen and get better. Um, and the better you get, the more work you'll get, the more money you'll make. And, you know, and, and there you go. Um, uh, and take it, you got to take it from me because I didn't go, I didn't go to college. I went to work. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have the money for college. And so everything that I learned, if you guys think I'm any good, um, everything I learned, I learned on the job making more mistakes than, well, it'll take you till you're 60 years old to make as many mistakes as I have. Um, and you know what though, if I can make it, you can make it, anybody yeah. can make it, you know, I'm, I'm no more talented. Uh, I'm not, no better of a writer, no better of an artist than you could be. People always say, I, people always say to me, you know, I wish I could draw like you. I said, well, you could, you could. If you drew 400 drawings a week for as many years as I have, you'd get good. So go do it. Go do it. Before we continue this fantastic conversation with Guy Gilchrist, I have to remind you that for you, the listeners of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, they have a ton of books to choose from, over 180,000 of them. And they have books such as Lord of the Rings, Divergent, Star Wars, Gears of War, Mass Effect, Halo, wrestling books, autobiographies. They have so many different books to choose from for so many different fandoms. I'm still listening to Star Wars Bloodline, and it's very, very good. I highly recommend it if you're a Star Wars fan. But again, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nerdcave for your free audiobook download today. When you were 24 years old, you were hand-selected to create the Jim Henson's Muppet comic strip. How did you get that job? Well, I was doing... Um, oh, okay, it's, it's a long story, but I'll try to make it not as long. Um, <clears throat> I was doing a comic book for Weekly Reader, and uh, they were uh, the Weekly Reader people were in Connecticut, and uh, it was the biggest job I could get. Uh, I was about 20 years old when I got that job. 
I did, and I did these comic books that were written that I wrote and drew. Uh, and the idea was if kids would read the comic books and get into the habit of reading, then they'd read chapter books and stuff. So, uh, there was a museum of cartoon art in Port Chester, New York. Uh, that's right on the Connecticut, New York line. And I found out about it reading a book uh, about his life by Mort Walker, the creator of Vito Alien, High and Lois, and many other things. And Mort had opened this museum, and it was the first museum of its kind in the world that said cartoons were art. This was a big deal. Anyway, as soon as I found out it existed, I started driving there, and it was almost two hours away. Uh, and I was there all the time, and I got to meet very famous cartoonists. And once a month, on Sunday, the first Sunday of every month, they would have a very famous cartoonist come and do a talk in a little uh, auditorium that they had within the museum. And every once in a while, the cartoonist couldn't be there for some reason or other. And so they'd have to get a local person. And the, the local people were unbelievable. There was like, you know, Dick Brown, who did, you know, Hagar. And there was John Cullen Murphy, Prince Valiant, on and on and on. But sometimes no one was available, so they'd just grab anybody. And I was down there all the time. And I was a real ham. You know, I had a, I had a rock band and... I was going to schools all the time because I was working for Weekly Reader. So every once in a while, they would choose me to do the talk. And I would get up and I would talk and I'd draw animals and I'd do this and that. And anyway, one day, Mort Walker saw me do it. And he said, you know, you're pretty good up there. He said, there's only one problem. No one knows what you do. What do you do? I said, well, I draw this funny animal comic, you know, for Weekly Reader. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. We'll schedule you to do a talk, but bring some of your artwork down and put it up in the lobby so that people will know what you do. So ostensibly, he gave me a one-man show. And anyway, we did all of that, and Mort, at some point, saw the artwork, and he didn't forget about it. And one day, he was out golfing with the head of King Creatures named Bill Yates. And Bill was telling Mort that they were about to lose the contract on the Jim Henson's Muppets comic strip. They had had a deal with the Henson people uh, that they would try to find a writer and an artist to create a comic strip based on the number one show in the world. And they had had it almost a year and tried out 200 different people, and the Henson folks didn't like anybody. And so they were about to lose the deal, and it was going to go to a different syndicate, probably United. And uh, so more to, uh, to, that's a frog and a pig, right? And uh, Bill says, yeah. He says, oh, well, there's this hippie kid that hangs out. He does funny animals. Call him. <laughs> and uh, so Bill did. And I died. I mean, I just, I mean, I've told this story so many times and, uh, you know, but some people that are, will be hearing this for the first time, so I thought again. So, anyway, so yeah, so Bill calls. And now, you got to understand, it's King Features, okay? I'm a kid. Now, I was mailing a new comic into King Features like once a month, and no one would answer me. You know, I'm like waiting to get, you know, for someone to say anything to notice me. 
And everybody in my life knew, you know, that I was mailing stuff off to King Features and United Features all the time and getting rejection slips and, you know, just hoping, you know, for someone to notice me. So anyway, the phone rings one day at my studio and he's, the guy says, hey, this is Bill Yates from King Features. Well, I said a word that I should never say, ever. <laughs> and I hung up. Oh, and no. I thought it was my brother-in-law busting my chops. Well, the phone rang immediately, and he said the same word to me. <laughs> and said, this really is Bill Yates, and I don't know if I like you all that much. <laughs> well, after they, you know, after they, you know, they, they, they spatulated me off the floor. Uh, anyway, I talked to Bill, and Bill still gave me a shot. And I tried out, and uh, and the, the the short of it, it's way too long to be short, but um, I wanted the job really, really bad. And every time he asked me for more work, I just did it. And I never asked for pay. I never asked for anything. I just kept on doing samples. And I decided I was going to keep doing samples until they said, okay, Either they hired me or they said, I'm sorry, no one likes you, and they've hired somebody else. I did it for a year. Wow. I drew for a year. I wrote and drew for a year. During that year, I went in, I met with Michael Frith um, over at 117 East 69th at, at Henson, um, at Henson and, um, uh, and they were very nice, but they didn't commit. Um, but... I just, I wasn't going to leave anything on the table. I was going to leave it all on the field, and I did. And I just kept on going, and at many points during the year, I thought this was it. You know, Marie Severin, it looked like she was going to get the job for a while. Jim, I know, adored her, and, of course, she was absolutely brilliant. But then one day, the phone rang late in the afternoon, and it was Jerry Jewell the head writer of The Muppet Show. And he was calling from Hollywood, California. And again, after I picked myself up off the floor, um, you know, Jerry, uh, you know, Jerry just started talking uh, about uh, storylines. And I'm like, Mr. Jewell, this is really cool, you know, but what, what does this have to do with me? And he said, well, did Michael call you? Did Jane call you? Did da, 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 da. No, sir, no, sir, no, sir. He said, oh, well, you've had the job for like a month. Wow. And I had the job. So, yeah, I, I beat out like, you know, I guess 200 people. And I got the job, and I can only thank God in heaven for it because, I mean, I was certainly the least qualified. Uh, you know, there were many, many brilliant geniuses that didn't get the job. Uh, but Jim liked me, and Michael liked me. And it was an incredible blessing, and everything that I have uh, is because of it. And I made a lot of mistakes, you know, in front of the whole wide world. Uh, but, you know, I tried real hard, and uh, it is what it is, and I did what I did. And, you know, it was it, one of the most incredible blessings from God that anybody could ever have, and I so appreciate it. Jim was the most wonderful man in the world. I miss him every day. I love carrying on his legacy the way that I do. And it'll always be a part of me. I absolutely loved it. 
it's a great legacy to carry on. Yeah, it ain't bad. A uh, couple more questions here. Um, favorite character to draw? Whichever character I'm drawing at that moment. Uh, Anna just laughed because she she knew the question. I get that a lot. <laughs> at pretty much every panel, at every yeah yeah, uh, and it, but it's the and and it sounds corny, but it's true. Uh, it's whatever I'm doing at that moment. You know, I have a lot of different styles and I've worked on a lot of different characters, you know, a lot of different universes and stuff. And, uh, and sometimes I'm doing a lot of them all in the same day. And, uh, like, you know, not just at a con, but just at my board, you know, working today, you know, I mean, I, I can't, I, I've, there are four different projects on my board as we speak. So, you know, how do you do that? Well, you do that by staying completely in the moment and completely, you know, giving everything you have to that drawing that's in front of you. And, you know, I'm a writer. Uh, I always tell everybody, you know, I'm a writer who hires the cheapest illustrator he can find. Mm. Uh, when I'm drawing a picture, you know, all these characters are alive. You got to think of what they're, what they're thinking, what they're doing, you know, what's the situation, uh, because that's how you entertain and engage the viewer. So it's always the character that I'm working on right at that moment. You know, even if it's a bad guy like Shredder or something. <laughs> yeah, Shredder would probably be a cool character to draw, though. He looks really cool. Yeah, it's like it's, it's like drawing like a yeah you know, like a forty eight DeSoto with eyes. Yeah, you know, it's like <laughs> eyes. big bumper bullets and all that stuff. Doing that that helmet. <laughs> Do you have any upcoming convention appearances that you'd like to plug? My gosh, yes. Um, yeah, I think that we're we, we've got about twenty uh, on the books now. You know, everything, uh, all of all of the appearances, because I, I don't just do the conventions, uh, we do a ton of conventions, uh, and I also do a lot of motivational speaking, and all of the, everything, all the tour dates are at guygilchristart.com, uh, but yeah, you know, we do a ton of traveling, Derek, and and like I said, you know, guygilchristart.com, uh, it's a good website, and, and we, we keep the uh, all of the tour dates and everything like that you know, updated over there. And of course we announce everything on, um, I know you follow me on social media and everything, you know, we, we do, we're really active on Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. Fantastic. Well, Mr. Gilchrist, thank you very much for taking the time to do the interview. It was great talking to you. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. My thanks again to Guy Gilchrist for taking the time to do that wonderful interview. It was great getting to meet him at Pensacon and great to talk to him on this podcast. Be sure to follow him on social media to find out where he'll be next. And also be sure to check out past episodes of this show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. I'm also on social media. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. The show page is at Podcast. My personal page is at Derek underscore Diamond. And I'm on Instagram. Just search for at Podcast. Every week I post a 60-second preview of that week's upcoming episode as well as other random photos as well. Instagram's a lot of fun. 
But I believe that's it, so enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Tuesday. Are you looking for new original music? If so, you should check out my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers. The Unicorn Wranglers are very important to this podcast. They're a local indie rock band based right here in Pensacola, Florida, and they supply the theme music that you hear at the beginning and end of each episode. And the song you heard today is D-Rock from their upcoming album, Thunder Snow, which will be out very, very soon. But you can check out some of their past music on Bandcamp. Just go over to bandcamp.com and search for the Unicorn Wranglers. And you can find Murder Mystery Night, 95 Flannel, and their EP Atomics for free. That's my favorite four-letter word, free. You can also follow them on social media. They're on Twitter and Instagram at Wranglers. Search for the Unicorn Wranglers on Facebook. And finally, be sure to check out their website, unicornwranglers.com.